Hello and welcome to the Portfolio Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, John Bryson, Head of Investment Consulting at John Hancock Investment Management. Today is December 10th and I'm joined by Emily Rowland and Matt Miskin, our Co-Chief Investment Strategist at John Hancock Investment Management. Matt and Emily are the architects and brains behind our quarterly capital markets outlook piece that we call Market Intelligence. Matt and Emily, welcome to the call. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, John. So you two have been frequent guests throughout 2020. I'd love to go and recap uh, 2020, kind of look back, what stood out to you in terms of highlights and surprises, maybe touch on the economy and on the markets. Matt, maybe I'll ask you to answer that question. Well, this year was one that was uh, certainly full of surprises. And while there were certainly negative surprises, a, a global pandemic certainly comes to mind, um, and that, you know, we had a, a lot of economic challenges in the first half of this year. There were positive surprises, too. Um, some of the dates that I think I will always remember for the rest of my career, um, March 23rd, for example, was the low in the market. That was the day that the Fed surprised all of us by starting the operation to buy uh, corporate bonds, or at least, you know, giving that forward guidance that they, they had capital to buy corporate bonds that had never happened before. Uh, so they announced that on, on the 23rd. The 27th was the, the signing of the CARES Act, one of the, the largest uh, fiscal policy and government-led um, economic stimulus packages in history. And in our view, I mean, that was a very um, well thought out and, and um, you know, effective program in terms of the economic rebound we've seen. It certainly was costly, though. Um, and then, you know, just here in the first week of November, about a month ago, the fact that vaccine development has come so quickly. November 9th was the day that Pfizer came out with the news of a 90% effective uh, vaccine in, in at least trials. And, you know, all these positive surprises, even though we had such a negative and, and tough start to this year, these positive surprises have brought markets back and we're sitting here with, with some pretty nice returns and a balanced portfolio. Um, you know, I think as you look back on this year, while, while there's a lot of things that, that didn't work out, um, there was a lot of good things that ended up happening for markets and hopefully that can continue into next year. Yeah, no doubt 2020 was a unique year, not to be repeated. So, uh, Emily, as you and Matt look back, obviously you're also looking forward, thinking about the, the major themes to consider in 2021. Maybe let's start with the macro themes. What are, you, what are you seeing? What are you telling people to be aware of out there? Well, I think, John, really that using the word surprise is, is important here. And I think the challenge going forward to us is that it's going to be hard to surprise markets on the upside in such a meaningful way again. And all of that fiscal and monetary support, that's really a key reason that the S&P 500 and global markets broadly are, are up double digits uh, year to date. So the, the challenge that we see is that the amount of stimulus you know, provided this year probably won't ever be matched again. You know, We spent two, $3 trillion in the CARES Act. The Fed increased their balance sheet uh, by over $3 trillion. Rates are held near zero now and are probably going to be pinned down near zero here for years to come. So financial conditions are very loose. 
um, that's been supportive of markets, but it's hard to imagine them being much looser than they are uh, today. Uh, the good news out of that is that, you know, we'll be able to refocus on, you know, fundamental analysis, look at things like corporate earnings in terms of what's going to be driving markets and, and um, you know, sort of move past uh, the drivers today, which have been around vaccine news and around fiscal stimulus. You know, those are things that are really, uh, they tend to be difficult to handicap. Another uh, kind of key macro theme that we think about is, really around inflation um, and you know we we see a lot of investors you know very much concerned about inflationary pressures building and the idea being that you know when you add to uh, the deficit you know that should increase the supply of dollars which could result in an inflationary environment our view is a little bit different than consensus we actually see inflationary pressures staying fairly subdued in 2021 um, there's still a lot of slack in the economy. Um, if you look across the jobs market, we still have a very big hole uh, to dig our way out of. We're very encouraged uh, by the progress we've made in terms of um, restoring a lot of the jobs that were lost during COVID-19, uh, but there are still over 9 million Americans who had jobs in February that don't have them now. Uh, and now with some of those special uh, benefits potentially expiring at the end of the year, we think that that could create a rough patch here uh, in the economy. And so it also means that there's still a lot of slack. Um, you know, and, and we've seen, um, you know, things like temporary increases in inflation, things like used cars, um, you know, this great uh, sort of surge that we've seen in terms of the housing market. You know, some of those things may be transitory as we head into 2021. So we're not overly concerned about inflation. Um, and that means that bonds can continue to perform well. Uh, I know we, well, we can talk about that in just a minute. Um, and it should be a, a fairly decent environment for equities as well. Um, you know, the final thing I would say in terms of macro themes is kind of just looking at, you know, the economic picture globally. Um, and when we look across the U.S. and developed and emerging markets, what we really see right now um, is China driving growth right now. Um, you look at things like PMI data, you know, China's really come out of the other side of the virus. Their, their economy is, is growing quite rapidly. Um, you know, but they've already pulled a lot of levers to spur growth. Um, you look here uh, in the U.S., um, we're encouraged again by the improvement in, in economic data here, but then you look overseas and PMIs out of the Eurozone and Japan have, have moved lower, uh, primarily based on services dropping. So we see this sort of uh, multi-speed world opening up as far as the economic growth backdrop goes with China and the U.S. holding up the best. And then... Um, you know, the rest of the emerging markets, the developing markets um, failing to keep up. And that's got some key implications across investments as well. Excellent. So, Emily, I'm going to stick with you and I'm going to ask you to transition. So we know that the economy and the markets are two different things. Maybe kind of carry the big themes you're looking for in 2021 for, uh, for markets and specifically equities. Yeah, so we, you know, we do look at uh, the economic trajectory as far as thinking about, you know, where to invest. And when we think about the economy, the same sort of themes are playing out. 
from an earnings perspective. So we use forward earnings estimates as a guide about where to think about investing from a multi-asset perspective. And, you know, we look at the S&P 500, earnings are expected to be up about 22% um, year over year from 2020 to 2021. Um, you know, when we look overseas, we see, you know, the MSCI EFA, which is a broad representation of non-U.S. developed markets, um, they're expected to see 37% earnings growth, and then emerging markets, uh, 27%. So that's a pretty high bar uh, to meet. Um, but when we look at things on a relative basis, even though all three of those might be optimistic, um, we do think that the U.S. Uh, and emerging markets are, are more likely to deliver on those expectations. So we do continue to have a preference for the U.S. Um, over non-U.S. developed markets. And the other kind of element of that is that we are continuing to maintain a, uh, an overweight to the quality factor. Uh, so we want to continue to own companies that have the ability to generate stable earnings, have the ability to grow organically uh, throughout a market cycle, um, have good ROE uh, and those other types of elements, and that you find a lot more of that in a lot more sectors that have those quality attributes uh, in the U.S. So it's areas like technology and communication services, which are big overweights in the U.S., whereas internationally, you've got a lot more economically sensitive uh, sectors, areas like financials, um, which we're still waiting uh, to see evidence of a more sustained uh, acceleration in economic growth to move to those parts of the market. Now, I will say, you know, moving back to the U.S., we do think that there's an, a nice catch-up potential for parts of the market that have underperformed. So value in particular is a big one. Um, you know, looking at areas like U.S. mid-cap equities that tend to see a nice bounce coming out of recessionary periods. Those are going to be our elements of offense in a portfolio, and we're mixing that um, with uh, more, uh, again, continued uh, focus on quality growth in order to, you know, prepare for a choppy near term, but then ultimately have exposure to areas that are going to do well uh, once we do emerge from uh, the pandemic. Great. And, and Matt, maybe I'll ask you to think and talk about the themes you're seeing in fixed income and also the U.S. dollar. I know it has an impact on all sorts of investments. Maybe you can comment on that and your thoughts going forward. Yeah, sure. So as we think about fixed income, you know, the first thing we would say is that the short end of the curve or short duration strategies or, or cash um, just aren't going to cut it. And the reason why we say that is the Fed, like Emily said, has pinned down the short end of the curve. Interest rates are at zero. Um, to put this into perspective, the current cash savings rate across the country, um, which is usually heavily influenced by the Fed, is yielding 0.05%. And that is about $500 that you will earn on $100,000. That that's not enough uh, to keep up with inflation. Even if inflation is modest, say around one, 1.5%, you're losing money on a real basis. The short end of uh, the treasury curve is not that much better. The three to six month T-bill is around eight basis points. Um, so 0.08%, so 800 bucks on uh, 100,000. We believe you have to move to the intermediate part of the curve to find income. And the curve is actually pretty steep right now. Uh, so the intermediate part of the curve 
around the 10 years is now almost near 1% uh, versus that basically zero for the short end. Um, around the intermediate part of the curve, you know, the treasury market is higher than the short end, but still not providing a ton of income. Um, you have to think about other sectors across fixed income, and you have to be able to be able to pivot, in our view, into 2021 across sectors and be flexible with that. Um, so we're looking at core plus or multi-sector as our best ideas into next year, a corporate bias. Uh, within the fixed income universe. So, you know, you think about investment grade corporates, we're looking at single A, triple B, and then even some high yield. So double B, uh, the higher rungs of high yield uh, look attractive to us. But if you go to the, the corporate side of the market in a little bit of high yield, you can generate something like two to 3% in income. That would be ideal for us into next year or a good bogey to target. Um, but we believe that the Fed is going to, you know, remain steadfast on quantitative easing, remain giving, you know, forward guidance that they're going to keep interest rates very low. Um, and we're just happy with positive yields. There's so much negative yield in the world today. There's now $18 trillion worth of negative yielding debt out there. Australia just went negative. Portugal just went negative. Spain is on the brink of going negative. So there is just, there's so many countries with negative yields. We've got positive yields. Corporates have decent yields just on a, on a relative basis, especially in the world, but even just in a multi-asset portfolio. Um, so we believe that all makes a lot of sense uh, for the fixed income positioning next year. As it relates to the dollar, we do believe that the dollar could see more uh, short-term downside, but that it could see uh, it gain footing and, and eventually have a comeback in 2021. Reason why we say that, one, interest rate differentials are very favorable, as I was just saying, for treasuries. So you could see capital or crossover buyers come to the U.S. markets to pick up additional yields out of our treasuries versus the negative yielding debt that is out there in the rest of the developed world. So that could make a, a positive tailwind for the U.S. dollar. And then also, as Emily said, you know, I mean, we see a multi-speed world, but we see the U.S. economy doing better than most of the developed world next year. Um, you know, China is, is probably going to be the, the leader, but the U.S. may not be that far behind. And, and we believe that, you know, relative economic strength should eventually uh, help currencies. And, and so relative to developed currencies, we believe the dollar might find footing next year and come back. Um, you know, I think this is why we believe that, you know, emerging markets and the U.S. can be overweights as it relates to equities. Um, and we're going to be neutralizing emerging market debt. We had that as an underweight this year. We're going to be adding that to neutral and then looking for opportunities both locally and on the dollar side into 2021. Excellent. So when I look back on 2020, there were a number of things that I could highlight. And the one that I want to bring attention to is the fact that, A, we launched our Portfolio Intelligence podcast. And probably B, more importantly, Matt and Emily, you have been the first guests and the most consistent guests, and you'll be the last guest in 2020. So I want to thank you for all that you've contributed to this podcast, sharing all the insights that you're hearing, uh, whether it be talking to the, the managers in our network, the other strategists, or just talking to the financial advisors. You bring great insights to the conversation, and I thank you very much. What I'd ask is, are there any closing thoughts that either of you would have for 2020 for our audience? Matt, I'll start with you. I just, you know, I, I go back to the, the negative 
sentiment that's out there around a balanced portfolio. And, you know, whether it's the death of the 60-40 model or, you know, you can't use bonds anymore or, you know, you got to think about other ways to get equity exposure. You know, I mean, this, a balanced portfolio had a great year and it delivered. Yes, in the first quarter, there was volatility. Yes, there was a drawdown. You know, I mean, we, we had a 10-year run of, of great returns. We were about, we were due for some somewhat of a drawdown, but the fact that it came back like it did, to me, uh, speaks to you know the basic building blocks of building portfolios, multi-asset investing, and we think diversification could come back next year. You know, I mean, there's top five stocks that did so much heavy lifting in the markets this year. We believe that that concentration decreases next year, and that leaves other asset classes opportunities to to add value to investors. And we believe those are the great positions to have in portfolios as we go into 21. Great. Emily, your thoughts? Yeah. Um, well, Matt stole my thunder there. I completely agree that we need to have a thoughtful approach to risk for 2021. If you look at what's happening uh, this quarter, it's remarkable what a you know risk-on environment we're in right now. Some of the best returns in history out of areas like small cap stocks, more cyclical parts of the market. And, you know, we want to keep expectations in check here. Um, we talked earlier about this big dichotomy between the markets doing well and us still, you know, emerging from or remaining in a recession here. And meanwhile, you're seeing sentiment really become more optimistic every single day. And we're seeing, you know, it's hard to find any bears out there. They're all kind of going into hibernation for the winter. And while we are encouraged and we do want exposure to risk assets heading into next year, um, it's a big bar. And I think 2021 is expecting a lot of the market. So we want to be careful here. We don't want to reach too far for risk. We want to be thoughtful about where we take it. Again, areas like mid-cap equities. Um, et cetera. And we just want to make sure a balanced approach remains the key um, as we navigate what could become another uh, complicated uh, year. There's never anything wrong with a balanced approach to most things in life. Again, mm -hmm. thank you both. It's been a great year. Um, I wish you both safe and happy holidays for our listeners. Thank you for a great year. If you want to hear more, please subscribe to Portfolio Intelligence on iTunes. If you got some value out of what Matt and Emily shared or any of our speakers in 2020, please let your friends know, uh, share the word. And as always, thanks so much for listening to the show. This podcast is being brought to you by John Hancock Investment Management Distributors, LLC. Member FINRA. SIPC. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker, are subject to change as market and other conditions warrant, and do not constitute investment advice or a recommendation regarding any specific product or security. There is no guarantee that any investment strategy discussed will be successful or achieve any particular level of results. Any economic or market performance information is historical and is not indicative of future results, and no forecasts are guaranteed. Investing involves risks, including the potential loss of principal.